Hello, I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Coming up after the news, it's Philosophy Talk. Today, the philosophy of David Hume. David Hume was a Scottish philosopher, the best thing to come out of Scotland except for Scotch whiskey in the last thousand years. To add to that honor, he's my favorite philosopher. Really? How come? I think his views on ethics, epistemology, aesthetics, and religion are really deep and quite viable. I'm a bit of a Humean myself. But didn't he say we should toss all the books about God and abstract metaphysics to the flames because they contain only sophistry and illusion? What a killjoy! Yeah, I don't want to burn any books. He had no stomach for nonsense. He wasn't a killjoy in his personal life, though. He really knew how to party. One of his mottos was, be a philosopher, but amidst all your philosophy, still be a man. We should find out more about the philosophy of this Hume, and we will when Philosophy Talk continues after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 FM, KALW, San Francisco's oldest and most innovative public radio station. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on Stanford's campus. And today we're going to go way back. I mean, we're going to do one of the things we do from time to time here on Philosophy Talk. We're going to continue our countdown of philosophy's greatest hits. And today we're talking about Hume. Why is uh, Hume such a great hit, John? Well, David Hume, although he's not the best-known philosopher among non-philosophers, really made an important change in the history of the intellect. He knocked reason off its pedestal, and it's never quite gotten back on the pedestal the way it was. Yeah. Now, by, by reason here, we mean our ability that we use, say, in mathematics to figure out things about the world just by thinking. And up until Hume, it's fair to say, philosophers all from Plato on thought you could do a lot of that. And after Hume, it's been pretty much in doubt. Not yeah, not just thought you could do a lot of it. Philosophers worshipped at the altar of reason. They thought it was our highest faculty. They thought it was the key to our ability to learn the deep hidden truths about the world. So scientific rationality, they thought, from Plato, Descartes, Kant on, they thought it was the, it was the thing that enabled the ethics to have a rational foundation. But Hume just said, nah, none of that. That's exactly right. If you go back to Plato, Plato thought the world of sensation and experience was really illusory. It wasn't the real world. The real world was the one, the world of ideas and timeless forms exemplified by mathematics that you learn through the use of reason. Go on to St. Augustine, and you, you get a Christian flavor to this. Uh, the world of our senses, the passions, the things we want to do, uh, they're mostly connected with original sin and to be avoided. If we want to know the deep and abiding truths about God and the world, we need to just use our thinking. Yeah, you know, Hume put some of this in a, some of his views of his, in, he was good at pithy slogans, and one of his slogans was, reason is and ought to be the slave of the passions. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing stuff. He was a very good writer. Now, sometimes he wrote a little too good for himself, a little too well for his own, because that makes him sound like a hedonist, and he really wasn't a hedonist. He thought one of our main passions, emotions, was 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 sentiment, our our fellow love for other human beings. So he thought 
what reason would help us figure out, among other things, was how to how to make that sentiment grow in ourselves and others. And he was, in fact, a very kind man. Well, that's certainly true. And, and the way you put it just now makes Hume sound really cool. And I think he is really cool. But sometimes reading Hume, I get into moods of deep despair. I mean, because he destroys, at least he seems to destroy, the rational foundations of science, the rational foundations of ethics. You know, we can't know the self through, I mean, it's like, it's dark and forbidding and makes you want to give up. Well, we'll talk more later, I'm sure, about whether Hume's philosophy really has all those dire implications. But Hume himself was a nice guy, uh, uh, had a lot of friends and believed in science and uh, didn't fall out of windows because he was so skeptical about whether the earth was really there or anything like that. Our roving philosophical reporter is going to tell us a little bit more about Hume. She files this report. Okay, be honest. Until today, how would you have answered the question, do you know who David Hume is? David Hume. No, I do not. No, <laughs> I don't. Really, I don't. He does plants, and, and he has a nursery, and right? Really, I have no clue. I know that the stand. <laughs> I have no idea. It sounds like fumigator or something. I think that Hume, who is probably not only the greatest of English philosophers, is also one of the most interesting philosophers in history. Bliss Carnican is a retired professor of the humanities at Stanford University. There is a passage in Hume where he speaks about doing philosophy as something like embarking on dangerous seas with the attendant fear of sinking and drowning and dying. He talks about dealing with this by coming back to the world of ordinary experience, the world of ordinary human exchange. Among all the great philosophers of history, the reclusive, the tormented, the eccentric, Hume's a bit of an anomaly. The problems of philosophy did plague him, but they didn't consume him. Unlike some people for whom philosophy is a psychological disaster, for Hume it seems to have been perhaps some speculation here, to have been a kind of therapy. He, he did it, he got his views out there into the world to be seen, and thereafter he becomes a gregarious participant in Scottish society. He likes a good game of backgammon, but he was a thoroughly amiable person so far as I can make out anyway not discomposed, not tormented, and the tranquility of his death seems to have been completely in, in accord with his personality. And, um, well, that's very impressive. Carnican tells a story about Hume and the 18th century biographer James Boswell. Boswell admired Hume, but he couldn't accept his religious skepticism or his lack of fear about dying. When Hume in 1776, I think it was, when he was in fact dying of what was probably a a stomach cancer or some such related difficulty, Boswell visited him, I think, if I remember right, more than once. And what Boswell in his rather own tormented way, what he hoped to bring off, I think, was evidence of Hume's conversion. But Hume disappointed him thoroughly by staying not only tranquil but also resolute to the end in his belief that an afterlife was not going to happen. And Boswell had to swallow his disappointment as a result. Philosophy, it seemed, had helped Hume achieve peace of mind, but it also made him a happier, more normal person. I think Hume as a person is a reassuring figure because he makes it okay to play backgammon. (laughs) 
because in his reliance on common life and common experience, he makes it possible to, while valuing the life of the mind, also to value ordinary, mundane experience day by day. And I suppose if I absolutely had to choose between the life of the mind and the pleasures of day by day, I would have to vote for the pleasures of day by day. For Philosophy Talk, this is Amy Standen. Want to hear more? You can hear the rest of the program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or, for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.